0: One of the first things we do when we go shopping these days is to check the label. Uh, Do you do the same thing? Maybe it's for ingredients. uh, But we we check to see whether it's Australian made. Uh, Who's being employed to make this? Where are the profits going? Is that toothpaste made in Australia or in Vietnam? Are those kiwi fruits from Queensland or are they from California? Uh, But sometimes it's not so easy uh, for... Example Vegemite, you would think, yep. Well, it's actually owned by an American company. Or Forex beer, it's actually owned by New Zealand. You know, th- things that you think are going to be Australian are not actually owned by Australian companies. A- and is that orange juice, is it Australian made from Australian oranges, or is it just bottled here from imported orange concentrate, orange juice concentrate? Uh, Is that washing machine Australian made or just assembled here from parts that were made somewhere else? Uh, I even saw a toy koala with a big Australian flag in a souvenir shop. Now, surely you would think that is made in Australia. Well, the tag said, designed in Australia. (laughs) It's deceptive, isn't it? It could have been made anywhere. Uh, Sometimes you have to look carefully to avoid being tricked tricked into buying something that you thought came from one place when it really came from somewhere else. And that's exactly the point the Apostle Paul wants to make about his message, the gospel, how you can be right with God. In the face of a team of false teachers who are spreading a different message, Paul wants to say, don't buy it unless you check where it's from. Now, he emphasises that right from his very first words. Do you see it there in verse 1 of chapter 1? He says, Paul, an apostle, sent not from men nor by man, but by Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead. Paul is an apostle, an an ambassador of Jesus. He's come from Jesus Christ himself with a message that's made in heaven. A message made by God and owned by God. It's not man-made at all. Paul is holding out his label for everyone to see. Check the label, he says. Apostle. Apostle means commissioned by Jesus himself. Uh, It's a point he keeps coming back to again and again, like uh, jump down to verse 11 and 12 of chapter 1. I want you to know, brothers, that the gospel I preached is not something that man made up. I did not receive it from any man, nor was I taught it. Rather, I received it by revelation from Jesus Christ. Which is even better than just Paul's being appointed by Jesus, the message that he presents is also from Jesus. Check the label, says Paul, designed and made by God. Chosen by God, owned by God, distributed by God, the copyright is all God's. Now you can see what that message is back up in verse 4. What is the news that Paul declares? Verse 3 and 4, The Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins to rescue us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. This is not just a message from God. The whole rescue is from God. Can you see that? We were helpless. We were heading down a long, slippery slope to judgment and death. We were trapped in sin. But the good news from God himself is that he provides a rescue. He provides a rescuer. His son Jesus, who threw himself in the path of God's just wrath and carried that anger and saved anyone who accepts his rescue offer. And so even though we keep living in this world, we've been saved from this world. We are citizens of another world, another age, with whole new priorities and new directions. That's the message Paul brings. Down in verse 13, Paul describes how it worked for him, how he was saved. Uh, And all the way through to the end of chapter 1, on that first page in the the, the print, uh, it's got that point. Uh, Paul gives us his life story, his biography, not because he likes talking about himself, but because his life is living proof that his message and his commission to preach that message comes straight from Jesus himself. There's no other explanation. What else could explain such a complete transformation he was headed in a completely opposite direction he was arresting and punishing anyone who followed jesus he was ruthlessly hunting them down he was on the fast track to the top of his career path but then jesus hunted him down listen to how listen to paul as he takes up the story in verse 15 but when god who set me apart from birth and called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might not preach him among the Gentiles. I did not consult any man, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to see those who were apostles before I was, but I went immediately into Arabia and later returned to Damascus. He didn't get his message from other apostles. He didn't head off to study for his introductory degree in Christian studies. He immediately went off to another country, preaching the message Jesus had already given him. Doing what he'd been told by Jesus, to tell the Gentiles, to tell the non-Jews, the good news of Jesus. In fact, verse 18, he says, it wasn't until the third year after his conversion that he eventually went to Jerusalem. And met the other apostles, Peter and James. Now obviously some people didn't believe him. Uh, They thought, you just got your message from the real apostles. You're just a second class guy. Uh, And it seems like maybe these, these were the false teachers who were saying, well, look at us. Now this is actually why Paul writes his letter. He needs to defend himself. Uh, Defend himself against the accusation that his message is not genuine, that it's a lie. The accusation that it was only a second hand message that he'd learned from the real apostles. The accusation was he wasn't the real deal. Do you see how Paul has to defend himself? Verse 20 I assure you before God that what I'm writing is no lie. Now, why is this so important? Why does Paul go to such trouble to explain where his message came from? Because there's another message. There's a counterfeit, a cheap import, that's being preached. And the Galatians are being torn between two gospels, two conflicting messages about how to be right with God, how to live a life that pleases him. How do you decide which message is right? Well, Paul says, check the label, check where the message came from. If someone tells you one thing about how to be right with God and someone else tells you something else, ask the question, where does the message come from? How does that message compare with the message from Jesus himself? The made in heaven gospel uh, that says, verse four, the Lord Jesus Christ gave himself For our sins to rescue us that's it what do we do well it doesn't say we have to do anything it it just says Jesus has done it there is no list of rules to keep no set of entrance requirements it is pure grace it's not grace plus something you do it's all by God it's not by us And yet the Galatians are are deserting, they're they're turning their back on Paul's message. Uh, Look at verse 6, you can see the problem. This is the problem that is under the whole letter. Verse 6 and 7, sum up what the letter is all about. I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you by the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are trying to are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert or, or twist the gospel of Christ. Now, Paul has been to their towns, uh, the Galatian cities of Iconium, Derbe, and Lystra. Now, you can read about that in Acts chapter fourteen. Uh, People in those cities had heard the gospel, the message about the grace of Jesus, his generous mercy in taking God's curse on the cross. They've become Christians, churches have been planted. But now some other people have come along to those churches and they're saying something new, a different gospel. It seems like it's a slightly reworked gospel. A bit like Coe saying that he lives in Haberfield rather than Ashfield. It's close. It doesn't seem to actually be contradicting what Paul says. It it just seems like it's adding. A a few finishing touches, a a sprinkle, a, a garnish. But Paul says that means it's actually no gospel at all. It's dangerous to think that adding a few extras to your salvation can improve it. It's deadly to think that your salvation is like your car. Add a big stereo, add mag wheels, add some fluffy dice, that'll make it better. The truth is though that if you add stuff to how you are saved, it's more like adding stuff to your petrol. It's dangerous. Paul's point is that if you add anything to the simple message of the gospel that God gave Jesus to rescue us from our sin, then you're not actually preaching that gospel at all. Because news that says that you have to do something to earn your salvation, well that's not good news at all. You can't hold on to Jesus and then grab hold of something else and think you're extra secure What you're really doing when you're holding on to Jesus and reaching out to grab something else is that you're letting go of Jesus. Uh, Paul goes on to say, verse 8, that it doesn't matter who tells you different. Uh, I want you to imagine for a moment something extraordinary happens. Uh, Just imagine that a huge hole opens in the roof and an, an angel floats down and hovers in front of the screen. Wings, pure white gown, gleaming white halo. And just imagine the angel says, wait a minute, you're not really saved only by the work of Jesus at all. you misunderstood. There are some extra things you need to do too. You need to observe special holy days. And girls should only wear dresses. And guys have to grow beards. And you only have to read the King James translation of the Bible. Add this, do that, You can only be saved if you do those things. Now, what would you do? Well, it would be tempting to believe it, wouldn't it, if it was an angel? But no. Look at what Paul says in verse 7. There are people who are trying to throw you into confusion about the gospel. Verse 8. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, Let him be eternally condemned. Now, that's a slightly more polite way of saying, if anyone comes to you with a different message, you can say, go to hell. Let him be damned. Now, you don't get anything more serious than changing the message of salvation because people's eternity depends on them. Tell them to go to hell because God has told us how to be saved. And when people try to change that, they're calling God a liar. Verse 10, Paul says that may not make me very popular, but I don't care what people think of me. I'm Christ's servant, He's the only one I want to please. I proclaim his message. I protect his message. I don't care what people think. If you pick it up into chapter two, Paul continues describing his relationship with the Jerusalem church. Three years after his conversion, he went for the first time. Chapter one, his point was that his message didn't come from these other apostles in Jerusalem. It came from Jesus. As we move into chapter 2 he describes a second visit to Jerusalem and his point is not just to show his message didn't come from them, his point is to show that uh, those Jerusalem apostles agree with his message. So verse 1 he says he goes with Barnabas and Titus, it's 14 years after his conversion, 11 years after his first visit. It's probably a few years before this letter was written. Verse 2 tells us it was in response to a revelation. God told him to go. And his purpose was to set before them, these Jerusalem apostles, the gospel that I preach. Now why does he do that? Why go to Jerusalem? Well, jump down to verse 4, even back then, a few years ago, because people were trying to add things to Paul's message extra burdens before you could be saved. Look at verse four. This matter arose because some false brothers had infiltrated our ranks to spy on the freedom we have in Christ Jesus and to make us slaves. These were Jewish Christians who thought that the new Gentile Christians need to keep the Jewish law as well to be Christian. And Paul wanted to stop that rubbish. He doesn't want that false message undermining all his hard work, working against his work, so that Gentiles turn their back on Jesus. Now that's what it means in verse two. Uh, Paul says he sets before them the gospel that he preaches. I did this privately to those who seem to be leaders for fear that I was running or had run my race in vain. It sounds a bit like he's not sure, but what he's saying is I wanted to preach what I, I wanted to tell them the gospel that I preach so they could agree with me, so they could stop these false teachers from undermining my work. He wants to stop the false teaching so that all of his churches and his converts might be protected, that that he hasn't wasted all his effort. Uh, Look at the result of his meeting. Verse 3, yet not even Titus who was with me was compelled to be circumcised even though he was a Greek. They agree with Paul. He's taken along Titus who's not a Jew and there is no command that Titus should get circumcised. Now that's the extra that the false teachers want to add to Jesus. They say, absolutely, it's great Jesus died for your sins. Great that he even died for Gentiles. As long as Gentiles do the things that Jews do. As long as they keep the Sabbath and get circumcised and eat the right sort of food, don't eat pork, and so on. Or as Paul describes it in verse 4, they want to make Gentile Christians slaves who are locked up by the law the way Jews are. But Paul's gospel says no, we're not slaves. We're free, Jesus has done it all. There are no extras required. Everything has been done already. Grace alone, nothing you need to add to what Christ has done or can add. Christ alone, by grace alone, through faith alone. It was Paul's message and James and Peter and John agreed. Verse 6, these men added nothing to my message. The good news of the gospel is that it's grace plus nothing. The message that's made in heaven is that the work of Jesus begins the job and finishes the job. And that means we've been set free. Evangelical Christians, we're called evangelical because we celebrate and talk about the gospel, the evangel. That's the Greek word for gospel. We think it's so important we want to keep reminding each other of it. Because it's so easy to forget. It's so easy to let go of Christ and to reach out for extra things. Just to be that little bit more confident. It's the natural human way, it's the way every human religion works. We reach up to God and offer him things and then he does something for us. It's called the N shape. We reach up to God, he does something, that's every religion. Except for Christianity, which is a U shape. God reaches down to us and we offer him our obedience. It's just as easy to happen in Christianity though, that we turn the you into an end. Let me tell you two ways that we can forget that it's all by grace. They sort of look opposite, but they're actually two sides of the same coin. One looks like confidence, and the other one looks like anxiety. But both of them come from focusing on what we do rather than trusting Jesus alone. So imagine this. First, tomorrow, Monday morning, you have a good day. You remember to read your Bible. You pray before you go to work. The traffic is clear. You get to work on time. You even listen to 103.2 on the way. Over coffee, you get to tell your workmate about the the Christian conference you went to and how good it is to be a Christian. He asks some encouraging uh, questions and you get home that night and before you go to bed you pray and you're full of confidence and you say praise god how good it is to be chosen by you and saved by grace you know it's all by jesus but you can't help thinking that god will be just that bit extra pleased with you because your salvation and your salvation is a little more secure because of how good you've been today that's wanting to add things to jesus Or think about Tuesday. Let's imagine Tuesday goes like this. The garbage truck wakes you up early, the kids are cranky, there's no milk for breakfast. You miss your quiet time, you trip over the cat, you reverse into the letterbox. The traffic's terrible, you forget your notes for the presentation. The boss blames you, you make a mess of it. Your workmate, the one who asked you the encouraging questions yesterday, says, I thought Christians weren't supposed to act like that. You bury your head in your hands and wish you'd stayed in bed. That night you lie in bed and you pray, but you can hardly string two words together. You feel too worried and anxious to even begin. Now that's forgetting that you are saved by Christ alone and that you don't add anything It's thinking that when you fail, your salvation is somehow at risk or that God has given up on you or you don't deserve to have your prayers answered. Which is true, you don't. Christ has freed us from a constant performance review. I don't know know if you're in a job where you have performance reviews, but just imagine you had a performance review every day. That's what it can feel like when you've let go of Jesus alone and are trying to add to him. Christ has freed us. That's the freedom we have. That's the message that comes from God himself through Paul. The fact of your salvation is fixed in what Jesus has done. Our assurance comes from him. Don't let go of that. Be careful you don't add anything. Now, church can help us to remember those things. We we gather together to remind one another of it, uh, these things, don't we? Because our hearts are so easily turned away from God. We gather to remind one another. One part of church I really appreciate is our prayer of adoration and confession. We don't just praise God for who he is, If we did that, we would be tempted to forget that we need saving. We would just think about how wonderful God was and that, well, we sort of deserved it. But we also don't just confess our sins. When you do that, we risk focusing on our performance and how far short we fall from God and how we don't deserve him and and we despair that we're not good enough. But we do both. It's a prayer of adoration and confession. We humbly recognise that we can't save ourselves and we need God's forgiveness and help and we rejoice in the free forgiveness that he offers us that is signed, sealed and delivered based on Jesus' perfect obedience, not our flawed obedience. Now here's another part of church that reminds us of these truths. We're celebrating the Lord's Supper today. The Lord's Supper reminds us of what Jesus has done and it reminds us that we are sinful and need saving. As we come to church, as we remind ourselves of these two truths, we can truly be humbled and hopeful. Humbled and hopeful. That's the freedom of the gospel of grace alone. Now that's why real Christianity doesn't look like other religions at all because it's not about what you have to do, it's about what's already been done. It looks different because its origin is different. This is the only religion that's made in heaven. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have spoken to us spoken to us about your son, spoken to us about our need for him, our inability to add anything to what he has done. Help us to hold on to both these truths, that we need saving and can do nothing to save ourselves, and also that Jesus has done everything. Make us humbled, And hopeful, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.